0: As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Uh, Our Father in heaven, um, please, now I pray, um, help us. Uh, We need your help as we open the scripture. We need your help to uh, keep us attentive. There's something in us at times that draws us away from your word, but, but, but don't let that happen, please. Work in such a way in us that we are attentive. And not only that... Work in such a way that we speak and think that which is true from this passage, and also would we understand it then, but not only that that we would really believe it, and that you would enable us then to to live um, to live believing this passage, and this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to James in chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. James chapter 4, please. I just want to read verses 13 through 17. James chapter 4, please. Verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? If you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, This is a very contemporary passage. Uh, surely it meant something to them and had to. It had to first hit them exactly with to where they were, were actually living, as James would know about them, about these churches that had dispersed these Christians out of Jerusalem during the time of persecution, settled variously. And, and now he writes them, James knows about them, and he knows that there would have been merchants among them, and he knows about how those merchants were carrying out their business in terms of their... Travel and their work and making a profit and all of that, but but it's such a contemporary passage for us because if if they traveled for business, if they were uh, accustomed to making a profit, uh, surely we travel all the more, and and our expectations about life are such that that that, that we, we can sort of glide through life, really, as he's going to bring out, without much thought of God being involved in the process at all. I mean, just think about the expectations that you have uh, when you wake up in the morning. You begin to think about what you're going to do. And you expect then to be able to to carry those plans out because you've been doing it. And then we, we, we just sort of do that. We, we have all of that, whether it could be travel. You're thinking about where you're going, whether it's in a car or bus or walking or riding your bike or on an airplane. Or if it is that you're going to be traveling to that day, you just sort of think it through. Yes, okay, this is how I'm planning out the course of my day. We just do that very naturally. What our expectations are sometimes about recreation. We expect that we're going to be able to, 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 leisurely have some leisure, have some leisure time in the course of our life. Maybe even plan a vacation and we plan it out and we think it's going to be carefree and relaxing and we anticipate that and, and very often it works out that way. Think about the expectations we have about information in, in our lives. We expect to have information about all kinds of things, significant and quite frankly insignificant things as well. We just expect that uh, at our fingertips or a voice command we can get all kinds of information that we need. Think about our, the expectations we have about our health. We expect most of us sitting here to be Relatively, to be pretty healthy. And if we're not, we expect that there's some kind of medication. There's some kind of procedure. There's some kind of specialist who can enable us to deal with whatever issue we happen to be suffering uh, at the moment. Um, we, we pretty much expect to be able to manage our lives successfully. To manage our lives successfully so that we'll be happy. I mean, that's pretty much the expectation that we have in the context of life. We realize that's our expectation because when it doesn't happen, we're either surprised or disappointed or embarrassed that we didn't plan better, right? That's the sense in which we find ourselves, the sense in which um, we live. And you might ask, well, what's really wrong with that? We have to plan, don't we? And the answer, of course, is yes. I mean, if we didn't plan our vacation Bible school... (laughs) Starting from last January to this week, last week would have been a mess. It wasn't a mess. It was wonderful. Uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful to me. People come in from outside of our particular church family. that they, they, they experience that vacation Bible school. They say, I can't believe how well planned this is. Because it really is. It really is well planned. That's why it goes... So smoothly, we need to plan it. Uh, uh, the yog trip, the grace trip to Costa Rica, was well planned, so it went well. The planning certainly assisted in how all of that went. You know, the course of your days, again, you wake up in the morning, you begin to plan, I suspect, if you haven't begun planning already. Uh, and uh, you think through your day, how it's going to go, what you need to do. If you don't do that, you realize, well, it probably isn't going to go so well. So planning is is a good thing. Even in the scripture, planning and working hard, all of that is a virtue. Uh, We read in Proverbs that we're supposed to be like the ant, A-N-T, like the ant. We're supposed to uh, be storing up and working hard. We're not supposed to be like the sluggard who doesn't do any of that. Because if we're not like the ant, then poverty happens and destruction and all those bad things. And so it's a virtue, you see, to be able to really to, to, to plan for the future. So, so it isn't the planning or the working hard or the making of a profit that James is concerned about here. It's something else. It's something else that by the Holy Spirit he sees at work in the life of these people. Um, and what he Sees there is what we might call the sin of presumption. We're just sort of presuming that everything is going to be okay. You see, when we presume, you see, we have this sense that we know what's going to happen and we can make it happen. It's this presumption that I know more than I actually do. I can do more than really I'm actually capable of. This sense we're presuming, and particularly, we're presuming uh, on God. There's a sense that he, they're leaving God, if you will, out of their uh, their lives. Um, notice how he puts it in verse uh, 13. He says, come now, you say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and, and trade uh, and make a profit. What's he presuming there? He, he's a Presuming they're going to be alive. Presuming they're going to be alive. To be able to do all of that. We say, well, of course. But go with them here. He, He says, I see something in these people. Perhaps see something in us. Presuming, you see, upon life. Can you really control that? Do you really know you're going to be alive later today or tomorrow, to carry that out. Let's say that everybody in the world today is presuming they're going to be alive tomorrow. A certain percentage of people are going to be wrong. Right? Just true. He says, well, think about that. There's a reason he's laying all this out, but think about that. He may say, there's there's this sense of of, of presumption about, about our own choosing. There's a sense in which, well, if I choose to do it, then surely it's going to come to pass. <laughs> if I choose, that I'm going to go to a city tomorrow. Surely, because I, I've chosen it, I, I, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to, to have the ability and the wherewithal and, and uh, all the circumstances that need to come into play for me to be able to do that. I'm, I'm going to be able to accomplish that. And not only that, I'm going to be able to make a profit when I do it. In my business, I, I, I know enough. I can arrange things in such a way that I'll be able to make a profit. Now, that's no doubt based on past experience in some regard. But 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 James just wants to just say, hey, are you sure about that? Do you really have that much control over life and control over this situation? It's kind of like that, um, well, at best, half-truth we tell our children. You can be anything you want to be. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think your average kid should say, I don't think so. You see? I pretty much knew by junior high that I wasn't going to play for the Boston Celtics. Okay. Right? And uh, so uh, there's a sense in which we, we get, but, but we, 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 know what we know what we're telling our kids, but we don't want to limit them. But, but on the other hand, it's presuming a lot. So we have to be cautious in the midst of all of that. This presumption is deep. It's a presumption of wisdom that I know what's best. And it's a presumption of ability. I can carry it out. I can carry it out. I know what's best. And I have the ability, you see, then the power... To carry it out, it's a presumption of wisdom, you see, and power. And again, you're probably thinking, I was thinking as I was just working through this. What's the big deal? I mean, how else are we supposed to talk? I mean, I mean, don't we say, Hey, I'll meet you for lunch on this particular day, and, and that's, or, or I'm going to go to the zoo this afternoon, or I'm going to start a new job in August, or I'm going to go to Colorado for vacation in uh, July. Whatever it is, you know, we, we kind of speak like that. And the truth is that that we do. But there's there's something here. There's there's a danger. That James sees in the midst of all of this, and the danger is this presumption that i 'm acting as if i 'm acting as if i 'm God, that I have the wisdom and the power you see to carry this out that I can arrange affairs, my affairs in such a way that, that all my plans will come. To fruition will come true, really, um, and we found in in Chapter Three that that isn 't the wisdom of God to think like that that 's actually the wisdom that isn 't from God, but it 's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic Chapter three verse. 15 it's earthly it's bound to the best we can think about it's unspiritual it, it isn't from the holy spirit and it's demonic it's that same kind of wisdom that satan gave to adam and eve in the garden that you can be like god you can you can determine what's best for your life and you can actually carry that out it becomes in a sense we become functional atheists we become functionally not really conscious of God, and we can put ourselves really uh, in His place. And it's the kind of evil, as He puts it here, it's the kind of evil that keeps us from submitting ourselves to God consciously. It's the kind of evil that keeps us from drawing near to Him. It's the kind of evil that keeps us from receiving. His word, this this pride. Remember, in chapter 1, in verse 21, he says this, that we're to receive with meekness the implanted word that's enabled to save your soul. If we lose this humility, then we'll lose this dependence upon his word and follow our own word. Or as he puts it then in chapter 4, in verse 6, but he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble if we forget. And we put ourselves in the position of God, then we cease to receive his grace. Because we'll walk on our own. This is, what we might say, an insidious thing that happens in a church. That it's it's, it's, it's gradual. It can be subtle, if you will. But it's devastating in the end. Turn to Deuteronomy and chapter 8, please. Deuteronomy and chapter 8. If you have a Bible, turn to that. If you don't, there should be one in your pew or you have some kind of electronic device. You can find it. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now again... Moses here in Deuteronomy is summing up everything and he's talking to them about now entering into this land. You might remember Moses took people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai and then wilderness and now he's coming to uh, talk to them about entering the land. In verse 11, it says, take care Lest you forget the Lord your God. Now that's that's something that we ought to keep very near to us. Take care lest you forget. Don't forget God. And you say, well, how can I forget God? Well, listen. By not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I commanded you today, command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up. Now that's a wonderful expression. To lift up our hearts. The psalmist used that often. In terms of worship. That's not how Moses is using it here. He's using that our hearts will be lifted up in pride. If you will. We'll think too highly of ourselves. We have not simply an attitude problem. But what I tell myself it's an altitude problem. I think too highly of myself. Uh, verse 14. Then your heart will be lifted up. And you'll forget the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. Notice. What's happening? We're becoming increasingly they're becoming increasingly competent, if you will, wealthy, and things are going kind of according to plan, in fact according to promise, according to how God has promised it will go, and, and they're finding them they'll find themselves prosperous and, and protected and, and blessed by God. Amazingly, rather than turn and be humbled by that and turn to give thanks, the danger for us. He said, we we'll forget him. Notice what he says. Then your heart will be lifted up. You'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. In other words, Think about the fact you're utterly lost and you were enslaved and you couldn't get out and, and I got you out and I protected you all the way through against all the things that should have killed you and could have killed you but didn't because I protected you and, and now I brought you to this place and now you're prosperous. Well, that's the problem. Verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Uh, You shall remember the Lord your God for he, it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. The nations that the Lord makes to perish before you so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. You see it. And James, I think, saw it amongst this particular people he he saw that was happening um, things at least for some had gotten better and they were able to think through their days they were able to travel they were able to do business they were big profits they they saw all of that and 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 through all that uh, they began to forget about god functionally they began to think about, forget about god and just go through their days without a conscious Recognition of Him. That could be pride to keep us from really acknowledging God. I've got this. I can do this. Or it might even be a sense of fear. If, if, if God's involved, then maybe I won't get what I want. You see, have you ever not prayed about something? <laughs> because you know that, that what you want isn't really what God wants, right? And if you pray about it, it just brings it too personal, so you just do it anyway. Ah. And so we don't want to do that, right? Or we shouldn't. But that can keep us from consciously being aware, consciously thinking about, consciously knowing that God is here and with us and we are rather dependent upon him. We can see this sin of presumption throughout the scripture. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, This particular parable of Jesus in Luke in chapter 12. But let's review it again. It's in Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man who has made me a judge or arbiter over you. And he said, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life doesn't consist And the abundance of his possessions. You see, there's this tendency to think, I've got it, I've got all that I need if I have sufficient possessions. Whether they be possessions of relationships or stuff or whatever, health, but as long as I have all of that, then I'm good. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he says, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and then I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, he says, I've got this. I've got everything I need. Um, This is it. I've accomplished. I have it. I'm good. And then Jesus said, fool. Now remember, and the Bible uses the word fool, fool, It means you're living as if there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You're living according to your own thoughts, your own wisdom, your own power. You're a fool then, right? It's a technical term, if you will, in the Bible. So Jesus said, fool, this night, your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared Whose will they be? What a question. Can you really control life in such a way that all these things will be yours? (laughs) The answer for this guy, no. Why? Um, Because his life was going to be required. His soul, he was going to die. So Jesus summarizes, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. You see his presumption. He presumed he knew it. He presumed he could. He presumed. And then it was all taken. Turn to Matthew in chapter 24. Verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. For as we're in the days of Noah, so it will be So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. There's this sense that everything's going as it ought we're eating and drinking in other words we're surviving we're eating we're being well fed and and uh, we're and and we're marrying and giving in marriage so life is going on and uh, expectations are there and it seems like it's but 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 what we don't see what well, they didn't see was a big flood was coming right and do we really see what's coming just presuming just going along You see, And so so James wants to catch them, wants to catch us up as well. And so he continues on. Um, He says, you say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You don't know, do you? We really know what tomorrow will bring. Well, well, we, we have this sense of it because... but really do we know do we have control over all the factors so that tomorrow will bring what we think it's going to bring that tomorrow will bring what it at least in our minds ought to bring James is saying no no you really don't you really don't know that and then he says this what is your life if you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, by that he doesn't mean your life is worthless. It's just like a mist. Boom, it's gone. That wasn't his point. His point is that you don't know how long it's going to last. Mists are like that. You go out and some days it lasts a while, some days not so much, but it doesn't last all day. And it, it, it goes. Uh, it sort of goes. And he says, what life is like, isn't it? It's like a vapor, it just goes, it's short. No matter how big a fish you are in this pond, the pond of all of history is huge. <laughs> and so we're all little fish. <laughs> and so, really, really, James says. Really. Do you think you're all that, your wisdom, your power to enable you to complete all of all of these things? So he goes on. Here's how you are. To live and to think, verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, what's James saying? He's saying that after every statement, we should say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. Uh, There's a tradition, and especially writing, this 19th century writing, where little uh, initials DV are after many expressions, at least after the last expressions in the letters, which is simply a, The initials for the Latin mean God willing. Which isn't a bad tradition, actually, in the course of our lives. Not just that it becomes a rote thing that we just sort of do uh, out of habit, but but it's something if it's thoughtful. James is saying, I'm not after that. I'm not after you to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills all the time. But I want that to be in you. I want that to be the context of your whole life. That you really live. And, and so what James is saying, I think for us, is that we need to say it from time to time. We, we, we need to be conscious of it from time to time. And that's why, if I could just do another plug here for what we do on Sundays. That's why, as we say, we gather to worship on Sundays. God has wired us in such a way that one day in seven, we must stop. That's how he's made us part of the whole meaning of the genesis 1 passage of how god has made us he's made us that one day in seven we must stop and we must stop to to put our eyes upon him if you will to realize that he is and to realize that he's the one who governs everything it isn't us it isn't you and me it's god And I believe this. I believe that if we don't do that, then we'll get everything backwards. We'll get everything upside down. We'll forget that God is. We have to consciously come, gather together as a community of people, and worship and say, No, God is. He's all that. It's His wisdom, it's His power, it's His strength. God is, and so so that's what keeps us. One of the ways that we say if God wills is when we gather together, because our gathering together is an acknowledgement that He is and who He is. You see, James raises all of this to humble us, to enable us to realize that it's the Lord who wills what will ultimately happen. Um, It's rather famously put in our own Westminster Confession, chapter 3, opening sentence of chapter 3, reads this, From all eternity, and by the completely wise and holy purpose of his own will, God has freely and unchangeably ordained whatever happens. Now, you may begin listing all of your questions of that. Stop. Just stop. And just realize that if God is God, then this must be true. <laughs> he must be. That's that's the very idea, if you will, <laughs> of God. That He's the one. So it makes Him God, who ordains all things that come to pass. Nothing that comes can come to pass outside of God. If there's something more powerful than God to bring to pass something that God hasn't ordained. Then that, which is more powerful, is God. So erase the one that you had and put this other one in its place. That's, that's God, you see. That's who God is. It's just simply true. And James reminds us of that by saying it's God who wills, who decrees that which is going to come to pass. And it isn't you and me. And he, he says that a, because it's true, but B, to humble us, to put us in our place. Not in a bad way, but in a reasonable way. This is who we are. That's where we are. We are under God, if you will. He's the one, and he, and he governs all things by his, his providence. Jerry Bridges, our friend, uh, has, uh, I think, for me, the most helpful definition of providence. He puts it like this. He says, God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all his creation. He's not saying anything more than Westminster said. But he says God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all his creation. But here's what's helpful for us as well. He says, for his own glory and the good of his people. In other words, God's at work, ruling and reigning over all things, ordaining all things that come to pass. What ordained essentially means to arrange all things, ordaining all things that come to pass, as he wills, but it has a purpose, you see. And his purpose is his glory. Couldn't be a better purpose. To reflect God couldn't be a better purpose than that. What could be better than a world that actually reflected, glorified, actually reflected God? His wisdom, his goodness, his power. Who else's glory do you want reflected on the earth? Well, who else's glory would make this a better place? Well, I think we've proven it's not ours. His glory. See, that's going to be the, 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 the wonder and, and the greatness, if you will, of the new heavens and the new earth, which is to come. Everything there is going to glorify God. It's going to reflect Him. That's what's going to make it great. That's why sometimes we just simply refer to it as glory. It's the glory of God. His wisdom, His goodness. Everything that's right and good will be reflected. That's the best, you see. So He's at work right now, even bringing all that to pass, reflecting His glory and, and because He loves us and cares for us, for our own our own good. That's what James is saying. This is what you really want. For the Lord's will, you see. To be good done. It's to humble us. It's to cause us then, as he puts it in chapter 4. To submit ourselves to God, verse 7. To draw near to him. That we may be humbled to be able to receive uh, his grace. You See, everything else is Evil. Notice how he puts it, verse 16. As it is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. That is, it's from the evil one. This isn't God's wisdom. Verse 17 then. So whoever knows knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. What is the right thing to do? The right thing to do is to submit ourselves to God, to draw near to him, (laughs) to humble ourselves before him. You see, that's the right thing to do. To depend upon him, you see. That's that's what we're that's what we're to do. In fact, we read through Proverbs uh, a while ago too, uh, in chapter three, this um, admonition really a layout of how we're to live verse five of Proverbs three, and we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we're to acknowledge Him. See, that's what James is saying. You're not acknowledging Him. You're not, you're not saying that God is. You're not, you're not saying if the Lord wills. You're, you're not living your life in this context of, of saying, Yes, God is sovereign over all things, not me. He says you're not acknowledging Him. You're not even acknowledging His precepts to follow His own will. You're not acknowledging that He's sovereign and ordains all things. So in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll make your... Sp- You make straight your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. He says, he says, live in a way that reflects God. Be generous, you see. And then verse 5. I'm sorry. Verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. He says, listen, even when difficult things come, you can trust him. You can trust that it's his training. So you can count it all joy, as he says in chapter 1, James does. When trials come upon you. Because this is going to produce in you perseverance. And this is going to bring you to maturity. So let perseverance continue on. Have its perfect work. You can trust him in the midst of that. You see, I think that's really ultimately at the heart here. You see, this sovereignty of God doesn't, doesn't negate our planning. In fact, it gives our planning purpose. We can say that since God's got this, now I can go to him and I can say, God, help me to think through my days. Give me wisdom. Help me think through my days. Help me live this out. How would you like me to live? And he says, well, I'll tell you. Here's my commandments. Here's my precepts. Come to know my word. And, and that will inform then your plans. And then to be able to make those plans, being able to say, if the Lord wills. That's a wonderful, freeing expression. I can't tell you how many times I'm praying and I go, God, this is what I think I'm going to do today. Or this is how I think i would to handle this particular situation. But you know, I've been wrong before. <laughs> and, and so, if you will, and the freedom of that, the freedom of that, to know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's not a trite Christian sentence. That's the heart of the matter for us. That we know that God rules over all things for his glory and for our good. And knowing that, especially in the midst of all the trouble that happens, knowing that frees us to plan, frees us to live, frees us to look forward to. Because we know that tomorrow isn't just sort of a random thing that's going to happen in the course of our lives. It may be that we die, not random. It may be that the things we've planned out don't come to fruition because of something that happens. Still, we can trust him. Still, we can trust him. Still, we can trust him. The Heidelberg Catechism uh, puts it like this. Read a couple of questions and give you a couple of answers. It's a catechism question and answer. The question is what do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? That's something we profess in the Apostles' Creed. The answer is this: that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by Eternal counsel and providence. It's all that we've said. He's almighty. Is my God and Father. Because of Christ, God's Son. I believe in God, the Father, almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He's my Father. The one who's made it all. And who controls it all. Who arranges it all. Don't ever forget Because of Jesus. Is your father who loves you. So then it goes on to say, So I trust God so much that I do not doubt that God will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn my, to my good whatever adversity God sends me in this sad world. God being almighty is able to do this. God being a faithful father desires to do this. See, we talk about God. And we talk about his sovereignty. We talk about his providence. We talk about his ordaining all things that come to pass. Remember, this God who is our Father is wise. And he's almighty. And he's good. Now, if he were just wise and almighty, it'd be scary if he weren't good. Because if he were evil, And all of his wisdom would go to creating the greatest evil that you could ever imagine. And nothing could thwart him because of his power. But he's good. Therefore, all of his wisdom goes to producing that which is ultimately good. Nothing can thwart him. And since he's our father, we can trust That that which he ordains for us will, as the Romans passage I mentioned earlier, will work together for good. Why? Because our Father has called us to this purpose and we love him and we trust him. So then the next question in Heidelberg, what do you understand by the providence of God? Well, the almighty and ever-present power by which God upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaves and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and unfruitful years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, and everything else come to us not by chance, but by God's sustaining hand. You see, the wonder, one of the reasons I like to read Heidelberg to you um, is because it was meant to be read to you. It wasn't just a systematic theology, but it was written to be read at church uh, like this. But it's so uh, pedestrian. It's so down to earth, if you will. And the very things, uh, rain and drought and leaves and grass and fruit and unfruitful years, food and drink and health and sickness, riches, poverty, everything else, come to us by God's gracious, sustaining hand. And then finally this. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? It helps us like this. We can be patient when things go against us. (laughs) Why? Because we know that God is ultimately behind all this. And his intention for it isn't that it goes against us, but it brings good to us. And you can say, but there's some really, really bad things out there, really, really bad things that are happening to me. How does he do that? I don't know. I'm not God. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Don't trust me. All right, I couldn't do that. Don't. You? But he's God, you see. He's God, and he's promised, and he's good, and he's powerful, and he's wise. He'll bring it to pass. So we can be patient when things go against us. Thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. You see, that's the ultimate, isn't it? All creatures are so completely in God's hands that without the divine, they can neither move nor be moved. You see, it isn't random, it isn't fate, it's God. It's God is behind it. So James says, people, please, please, please. Don't ever get to the point where you're forgetting him. Don't, don't ever get to the point where you're just functionally working without, without this consciousness of God. How do, you, how do you put that in your mind? Well, when you wake up in the morning, before your feet hit the floor, think, God. It's my personal, you don't have to do this. This, and this isn't bragging or complaining. It's the only way I can do it. But as I'm entering, getting out of bed, you know, I'm thinking, um, uh, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name for the Lord is good. Just, it's just, you know, after a while, do that. It becomes a habit of your life, a good habit of your life, something like that. Whatever it is to think of him when you're getting up and getting around. Karen sometimes says, What are you saying? I said, Ah <laughs> I mostly mumble it at that hour of the morning. She knows now, yes, of course. But I mostly mumble it. But but it's just to help me and help me get going consciously, to put in my heart's mind that it's God, you see, that's ordered my day. It's God who's involved in all of this. And not to become functionally an atheist and just sort of plan through plan through my life. And to trust in the Lord. And not lean on my own understanding. But in all my ways. Acknowledge him. And he. And only he. In ways that sometimes I cannot even anticipate. Will make my paths straight. Let's pray. Father. I pray for us today that you would help us. Sounds funny to even say this, but never to forget you. That you would enable us, I pray, to always be conscious of your presence, always be conscious of your sovereign power, always be conscious of your sovereign wisdom, always be conscious of your sovereign goodness and grace and that we would live our lives in that we would live our lives in the context of that whatever our thinking, whatever our planning may be always in that that your name would be hallowed that your kingdom would come that your will would be done in the context of our own lives even as it is done in heaven for really, yours is the power and the glory, the kingdom forever. So so, so so, let us live in the security of that. Cause it to humble us so that we'll submit ourselves to you. So that we'll receive your word with meekness. So that we'll receive your grace that we might live. Father, we give you thanks for how you ordered our VBS this week, and we pray that you would continue to cause fruit to come from it in the lives of the children and the lives of those who helped and worked, that the children would know that they're loved by us, by you, that the children would know the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that those who worked would be blessed by having served and would know that serving you is a great joy. And that you would work even this same gospel which was taught by them in their own lives. That they would live it and know it. Father, we thank you for the seniors, graduated seniors and the leaders that came back from Costa Rica. Thanks for the good report. Thanks for how you ordered that trip to go. And we pray you continue that that trip would be a blessing in the lives of kids and leaders that went and also the kids at the orphanage and others with whom they had contact this week. So please, I pray, bless through that and we give you thanks. Father, there are many who are having difficulties, whether they be spiritual, dealing with guilt. I pray they come to know your forgiveness, uh, wondering sometimes if you really love them. So please, I pray, overcome their doubts there and convince them of your love. Others are finding difficulty today accepting perhaps that which you've decreed in their life for this time. And so I pray that you would grant them the gift of knowing your wisdom and goodness and power and that you love them and are working this out for your glory and for their good. Give us a desire, Father, to follow your precepts. Be with those who are struggling emotionally, perhaps relationally, perhaps in the context of marriage, perhaps in friendship, that you would cause us all, Father, to be forgiving and patient and compassionate and kind, self-controlled in what we say. Father, some with material difficulties they're facing, be they financial with jobs and understanding their own calling, be they physical with healing or Health, help us, God, to walk with you, to trust you. Oh, Father, the world in which we live is a struggle, can be a struggle for us socially, so we pray that you would enable us to be faithful to you in the midst of the world in which we live and you would grant peace, peace in our own hearts and lives and pray peace in the context of the world that we live We're grateful that you are God and we ask you to enable us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the benediction.